0: Good morning everyone and welcome to the sons of sequoia podcast broadcasting live from wheat Ridge, colorado the home of the champions today is july 9th 2021 and we'll be discussing a series of videos published by gizmodo in 2018 entitled blocking the big five in which gizmodo journalist Kashmir hall attempts to block amazon facebook google microsoft and apple from her daily life how are you this morning
1: I'm doing very well. It's a nice warm day today in Colorado, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about blocking the Big Five and the Big Five and how we use all of them. Mm -hmm. So how are you this morning, David?
0: I'm doing okay. I can tell the second that I uh, stepped out to face the day that it was going to be a hot one here in Colorado. (laughs) So I'm bracing for that. Let me see what the widget on my computer says. 95, so a little bit uh, cooler than yesterday. So... So that's fine. Uh, But yeah, um, it's one of those times to hunker down and just sort of try to get a lot of work done uh, while we can.
1: That's right. That's right. So how are you? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Yep. It's going to be a good day. And uh, yeah, and actually uh, pretty much every single day we have, we engage one probably more of the big five yes Uh, amazon amazon microsoft uh facebook i mean they're they're everywhere Mm -hmm. and so it's really part of our lives now
0: yeah
1: and um and uh yeah my day-to-day and your day and actually we're doing it right now with this podcast Mm -hmm. we're using their their uh, capabilities that they offer to society
0: yeah, and uh, so I actually pulled up an article. We won't be going into the article today because I haven't shared it with you, but, and we'll link to the series of Gizmodo videos. But this is the technical guy, Dhruv Merotra. He's the one that built the VPN that blocked the URLs.
1: Yeah, maybe we should actually talk about what that means uh, before, yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, it's fascinating to me, she starts using this stuff, and and it's easy to say, I remember when I said, yeah, so she stopped using, you know, each of these, and you said, I could do that easily, no problem. And I said, well, you know, I thought, well, you run a Windows computer, are you going to change your operating system? like, yeah, I'll learn Linux. Like, you'll learn Linux in one day and start using it for work? Uh, you run an iPhone, oh, I just won't use my phone for a week, and it's like... That's not really an option. That's not an option for most people, you know. So it's easy to say, but um, this sort of exposed also other services that are offered by these companies that you may not know about.
1: That's right. I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Because when they say, they say, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't have a Facebook account. I don't use Instagram. Uh, And uh, so I sometimes I leave my phone and I just don't even take it with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I can go back the way I lived when I was a kid. Yeah, Uh, But then I began to realize, one began to realize, no, that's we don't live that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, We engage with technology throughout our day, even when we don't know it.
0: Yes. So, I mean, I think there's two I could do without. And I think there's one you could do without. Probably you could do without Facebook. And I could do without Facebook and Apple, because I don't use an iPhone. So, I think that it's reasonable to say... You could block, I could block those from my life with minimal. The other three, there's no way, there's absolutely no way I could do that. Um, so that was fascinating. Shall we go through video by video? I mean, we don't have to watch them, but we can talk about them. Sure. Yeah. And they're available on gizmodo.com. I can leave a link to this page right here. It's gizmodo.com slash tech slash goodbye big five. So she, she started with Amazon and she she wrote an article too. Kashmir Hill wrote an article as well. Um, but she started with Amazon and that one seems like it's the most difficult. Amazon made 300,000 requests to ping. Her devices made 300,000 pings to Amazon which was the most by far. Which was surprising to me because I felt like Google would be the most by far. But the reason why is because they took into account Amazon Web Services.
1: That's right. And so and they offered that to other plat- that platform for other, other services.
0: So she couldn't watch Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. She couldn't order stuff. And the funny thing is she did order something from eBay and Amazon shipped it to her. So during <laughs> her week where she wasn't supposed to use Amazon, she ended up getting a package shipped to her from Amazon. And right. I think it's no small coincidence that when she tried to use eBay probably the item that she wanted was able to offer two-day or three-day shipping because it was fulfilled by Amazon. I'm sure that if she wanted a similar item from a different seller on eBay, it would have, the shipping would have cost more and taken 10 days or 15 days. So it was Amazon's efficiency that caused her to accidentally order that item. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Amazon Web Services, we can just take a look real quick. Uh, I'll just type in companies-powered... By AWS,
1: but she went with this guy to uh, to monitor how many pings she has, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we have we really didn't mention that, and so she would connect with him and say, okay, well this is how many pings you've had through all those different servers right there, or, or the different uh, services, and so she didn't realize how many of them there were. Mm-hmm. She didn't measure all that. She had this this. Uh, third party uh with a with his software they did it
0: so here's the biggest spenders on amazon netflix twitch twitch is part of amazon but whatever linkedin which is part of microsoft why aren't they using microsoft cloud who knew uh facebook turner broadcasting the bbc baidu espn adobe and twitter and then if we look at um names that publicly use there's some huge ones here that you may need on a day-to-day basis, Adobe. And then she said, I was looking at Airbnb and I was still getting it. Why is that? They're an AWS company. And then they explained in the video, sh- content delivery networks. So right. Amazon holds the you know lion's share of the data, but they farm it out to content delivery networks, and they're cached in content delivery networks. So even though she wasn't pinging Amazon server, she was getting data that was actually ultimately stored by Amazon. Um, so anyway... The Amazon one was eye-opening because uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Sony, Slack, uh, a lot of stuff that people use on a day-to-day basis. Slack is a a business tool. um, It becomes sort of you can't see it without Amazon Web Services. And that Mm -hmm. was surprising because I think of Amazon like, oh, well, I just wouldn't watch Prime Video and I wouldn't order anything and then I'll have cut Amazon out of my life. It's not something that we really interface with day to day, unless you're shopping. Um, Now, I feel like our family, especially me, I got a Prime membership and they sucked me in a little bit. So I I use Prime Video, I watch video on Prime Video. And because I had an existing Prime membership and I run a lot of my uh, digital life through Gmail accounts. So Google sort of knows what I do with my email. And Google, of course, knows what we do with our YouTube channel and my other YouTube channel. And I figured they shouldn't also be in charge of the platform where I consume information or I consume entertainment. So at, at your house, anyway, at my house, I just use a, a home theater PC, but we have Amazon TVs. And so that's the platform that runs the information. I felt figured, oh, Amazon can have that information. They don't have as much information about me. But come to find out... They have an awful lot of information about me, more than I ever suspected.
1: The other thing, this may be a tangent or a side point, is when you say they know this about me, Mm -hmm. they have that data. Uh, You don't have someone in a room someplace looking at you, uh, but that data does exist that they can tap into and they can go down and actually pull it if they want to. But they're not doing that. They're looking at people in general. They're having algorithms that are going to send things to you to try to uh, achieve uh, sales, uh, sell it to third parties, and so when they say they know this about me, they have that data, and that data can be used for their purposes. And so their purposes uh, is not about you personally, although it is you personally. It's it's just about you as a as a subject uh, that they're going to deal with. Mm-hmm. Is
0: that fair, David? I think that's fair. Like. Um, I think back to South Park, everything comes back to South Park, when they parodied (laughs) Amazon, and the kids were talking, and then they sort of panned into an Alexa machine, and, you know, they panned into the machine, and then it went through, like, this series of wires, and it came out, and it was Jeff Bezos with two headphones on, like, listening to what they were saying in their conversation. (laughs) That's not what's going on. No, it's not. But... But Amazon does have an outsized impact on our lives because they built the infrastructure that runs the large web. And I'm sure that for some of their, I believe the United States military, the European Space Agency, I'm sure that a lot
1: of look these. At the, look at the UK, UK Ministry of Justice, UK, USDA Food Nutrition.
0: Yes. So I think for a lot of these, the State Department, there's guardrails on. It's not just like Amazon can see everything that the U.S. State Department has on the servers. So they just provide the infrastructure. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have the data. So Netflix, uh, where's Netflix? It's it's here, Netflix. You know, Amazon may not have your Netflix watch list. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then Amazon may not suggest to you videos on Prime Video based upon what you've watched on Netflix. Because they may not share data at that granular level. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what you're Mm -hmm. saying, right?
1: That's right. That's what I'm saying. The data exists, but then how it's accessed and how how granular it is or how general it is or aggregated it is, it it is there. Mm -hmm. And so they do access. And so I think the issue moving forward, uh, at least to me, uh, is that uh, it can be hacked. You can be... Uh, compromised individually uh, but the greater danger is uh, the uh, you can be influenced in general and so the thing of it is is all these different services that we're looking at uh, is that we're tied into all of them and it changes a mindset on how we live that these things are necessary uh, because we use them mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis and so when we when we change how we use things and how we live that becomes our lifestyle, which is not the same as 50 years ago, then that lifestyle changes society. And so that society then, you got to have, as you say, guardrails on society. It can't get out of hand. And we've seen just this year and last year that it can get out of hand. So there has to be some, have to be careful. But getting back to the, 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 uh, the six videos, she try, it's a very good approach. She tried to eliminate them And then she realized how much she couldn't eliminate them.
0: Yes. I mean, and Amazon was one of the hardest to eliminate, I believe, for her. And then obviously also for her, Apple. And that was the video where she's like, I didn't know how to do something without using OneDrive. And I looked at you and I said, that's pathetic. Uh, (laughs) But uh, not OneDrive, whatever, they, Apple's equivalent of it. Because I use Microsoft's equivalent of iCloud. How could I share something without putting it on iCloud? And it's like, yeah, I use OneDrive, which is Microsoft's equivalent of iCloud. But I Uh can think of a million ways to share a big file with you without using OneDrive. Um, So I cut Facebook out of my life. Let's go on to Facebook. I thought that was surprising because she was a Facebook user. She shared pictures of her children. She sort of kept up with people from her... Um, college life and and also you know her social life on Facebook and, and that's what people generally use it for. And of course, here's the title. Well, surprisingly, I missed it. That's not a big I, like, news flash. I just feel like she wasn't a Facebook power user. I feel like some people get sucked deep into Facebook. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, as someone who was a casual user, she was able to separate herself from it. And Facebook, I think they said, had 15,000 pings in the week where she was not using it, whereas Amazon had 300,000. And I think that's fascinating because we think of Facebook as the big spyer. Now, the amount that it spies is less. I mean, the amount that it pings its servers. Let's not say spy. Spy is a bad word. The amount that Facebook... Has your devices ping its servers or its servers ping your devices is a fraction of its, what, 5%? 5% of what Amazon does. Now, people don't look at Amazon and say, they're spying on me. They look at Facebook and say they're spying on me. And I think the reason why is because those 15,000 pings are your relationships to your friends, to your colleagues.
1: It's it's much more personal. It's personal information. Mm-hmm. Amazon has buyer behavior, uh, but uh, the Facebook is personal information and relationships. And uh, and I'm sometimes failed relationships and sometimes uh, sensitive information about your personal life. Because mm-hmm. uh, some people are very open with Facebook because they think it's just them and the person they're talking to. And it's not. It's uh, not a diary. That's... No, it's not. A... <laughs> it's not a diary that you uh, put under your pillow, under your under your mattress. No, it is, it is open. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the difference. It's the type of information that goes into Facebook. It's a and problem.
0: I will. I think that it's a twofold thing. It's the type of information. And then it's how Facebook uses it. I think they have been proven to be a poor steward of your personal information. And the reason why is because your personal information is so darn valuable. That of course they're going to use it to make money, and of course they're going to sort of play fast and loose with how they use it to make money.
1: Well, now see, with what what she said about the the say Facebook and 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 Google, we're getting into Google in a minute. Uh, we can't help but think about our last podcast when we talked, the other podcast, when we talked about The Social Dilemma. Yes, this is a good
0: uh, bookend for our week because we talked about The Social Dilemma on Monday. We talked about looking at your data as a bartering system. On Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And now we're sort of looking about someone that sort of tried to determine the extent to which these big five tech companies track you.
1: That's right. And it is a good good bookend to this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, The week of July, this is a very good three types of things that that uh, we did in our podcast, but I think everyone should begin looking at these things and analyzing them and fold them into the discussion. I think a lot more people should be talking about these different dimensions and and different viewpoints because we can't help but think about, back with the social dilemma, a lot of those people in that uh, uh, documentary were saying that the whole reason that their algorithms exist is for a purpose, and that purpose is not necessarily... For the benefit of the user, it's for the benefit of the company that has the data.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Facebook, I think that by virtue of not being a heavy Facebook user, I, I, I have an account and I should have deleted it years ago, but it's still live. It's still up there. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever accessed it from my devices and I don't have Facebook's app installed on my phone. So I'm not sure how much tracking Facebook is doing of me. Although I do have Instagram on my phone, so I'm sure that it's doing plenty of tracking of me across my phone, if that makes sense.
1: Well, the thing of it is, th- this is one thing. Let me ask you about this, David, is that I don't even have a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I had one years ago, and then I... Did I, you
0: delete it, or is it still I active? deleted
1: it. Okay. You no, know, I deleted it. It's I don't have one anymore. Uh, and uh, actually, I think I deleted it. Maybe it was just inactive. But my point <laughs> that I'm trying to make, I need to go back and look. I' have an act, even if it's still there, I haven't used it in years.
0: Yeah, they're not but, getting a data from you.
1: No, no. But it's connected. It's connected with the, with the other servers, the other types of uh, uh, technological information acquiring data, like GPS. And so even though Facebook doesn't get information from you directly, it may have information about where you go, uh, who your friends are, uh, through other means, uh, like through Google uh, or through uh, uh, Microsoft, when you have your Gmail accounts. Uh, and so they will know, and through Facebook, the people that people do use Facebook, that are your friends, they'll know what they do. So they know more about you, whether you give them your information or not, mm-hmm. because it's all connected. So when you start thinking about it, it's... it's we can't, another way, a philosophical way of looking at this uh, is you can't change it. It's all, the, 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 the genie's out of the bottle. It's here, it's to stay. Uh, the question is, what do we do about it and how do we manage it and how do we have safeguards? And we have to understand, we have to talk about it, understand it as best we can and move forward to where it's going to be for our benefit and not to our detriment, mm-hmm. not only individually in our community, but our society. So, so moving on, I guess, yeah. that's
0: why we're talking about it. Right, David? Uh-huh. I and think that's why we're here. I think we're basically just going on the titles at this point. I tried to block Amazon for my life. It was impossible. That's because of the vast mm-hmm. amount of companies that run on Amazon Web Services. I cut uh-huh. Facebook out of my life. Surprisingly, I missed it. That means that's mm-hmm. doable. That's why you can delete Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp. Those are the three big companies controlled, and then Oculus. If you don't use um, VR, so Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Oculus, you can get rid of those from your life. They're not. Well, I can get rid of those from my life. I'm not dependent upon those services. Some people limit. Some people have built businesses on top of Instagram. They're they built businesses on top of Facebook, and you flat out cannot get rid of those. You know. That's your lifeblood. That's the way 90% of your revenue for your business, 95, 99, 100, comes from your activities on Facebook and Instagram. At that point, you need it. Okay, So, but moving on. I cut Google out of my life. It screwed everything up. Now, this is fascinating. (laughs) First of all, Google search is its first product, Google search. Now, I would say that was a killer app back in the early 2000s, late 90s, when Google Search came along. And it's fascinating to me how, and she makes this point with Maps as well. So Google Maps is a fantastic product. Google Search is a fantastic product. And I think being, I guess Google wasn't the first search engine, but having a really good search algorithm, and they built their business upon search if that makes sense. And now they saw what other areas will be important. They chose Maps, and they, they got a first-mover advantage in Maps. So Google Maps is head and shoulders ahead of MapQuest or Apple Maps, which she was trying to use during her Google week. And Uber and Lyft, if you try to call an Uber and Lyft, they use Google Maps for their navigation, not Apple Maps or not MapQuest. So it's just fascinating how... When you have a first-mover advantage, it's tough to use something else.
1: Well, I think it's, I think the advantage of, of Google Maps is that it's not that they use maps. It's that those maps are connected with everything else that Google has. Mm-hmm. And so it that's the effectiveness of what they do because they can tie into the other sources that they have, the other capabilities they have. Because maps have been around for a long time, even uh, uh the information systems, ge- uh, geogra- ge- uh, geological, geographical uh, information systems have been around for decades. But their search with the maps, with all of their other capabilities, made it much more useful mm-hmm. and much more valuable. It gave
0: value, value to the maps. Yes. So when she tried to use MapQuest, and I thought it was hilarious because I haven't heard of anyone using MapQuest in the last 15 years, 10 years at least she's on her phone and says map questing it and and it's just it seems so antiquated and then she gets put on a route that doesn't account for traffic like google does and i think that a lot of it is network effects when you have a lot of users they can report speed traps they can report traffic jams on the app and then that sort of in real time gets sort of trickled down to your other users um, so google has good products and we use google products we use Obviously, I use Gmail. You don't really use Gmail, but you use Gmail for your YouTube channel. Um, right. I have a YouTube channel outside of this podcast, and we are on YouTube every single day. Now, the interesting thing is this is Gizmodo's website, and they posted the videos themselves. You know? You click here and it loads gizmodo.com. So they uploaded this to their web server. And this isn't a YouTube embed, but it's much easier to watch it on YouTube because mm-hmm. YouTube, the way they handle video infrastructure, that's a service they're providing you. And, and I think that they do a great job of sort of if you upload a video at 1080 or 4K, it'll downgrade that video to 1080, downgrade it to 720, downgrade it to 480. And it'll put all of those videos on its servers. And then if someone's looking at it from a weaker connection, they'll serve them the right bit rate. You know, So if someone's on a slow internet connection, they can still see your content at 480p instead of 4K. Um, so they're getting one-tenth of the Ks or whatever, <laughs> one-tenth of the vertical resolution.
1: The bit speed, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, but they still get to see your content. And Google does that for you And if you upload to your own website like Gizmodo did, it doesn't do that for you. It's fascinating to me um, Mm -hmm. just the services that they provide in terms of handling. And when she said it screwed up everything, one of her reasons was Google Fonts are all over the Internet. And so it broke a bunch of websites because a bunch of websites use Google Fonts. So we can take a look at Google Fonts real quick. And it seems like a simple thing. But I think that Google knew that having reliable fonts that were served that didn't break um, would be a good way to get their footprint across a lot of websites. And so all these websites are available for free. All you have to do is just link to Google, and they'll appear on uh, on your website. So you get all these fonts for free, and fonts prior to Google Fonts, they were expensive. I mean, they're still expensive if you want to buy custom fonts. It's fascinating to me. So, how do you feel about that? That's something that you don't. That's something you don't think of, right? You don't even notice. You
1: don't think about it. It's just there, and you use it without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to the maps, I don't know if this it really applies or not. But uh, before uh, GPS came on board, before Maps online became on board. Uh, they did maps uh, on computers back in the 60s and 70s, uh, but but in order to do them, they had to be so slow and so elementary that people could could actually use them. And so the, the code that we used was so so elementary back then that we had to parse it out. You would ask for something, and you were told it exists while you're building up behind. And then after a few seconds, which would be eternity, finally they can start bringing up the visual part of the map. So it was extremely slow. As the computers advanced, they say, okay, we can do it faster, but we have to do more information. So the information began to grow, and then the services began to grow. And that's what I was saying, because we we did that years ago, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, but what is what you see today is just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not just push a button, it's there. There are so many things that go on in parallel at the same time. And the X has so many databases and so much information and capabilities that it's, it's almost mind boggling just for a, a Google map to come up and there it is. Mm-hmm. And the ability to move things around, go in, go out, do the real world, you know, you can go from a map to the real world, mm-hmm. you know, and actually see the the actual uh, geology or geography. It's just, it's remarkable that, that that's right there. It's available so quick. Yeah. And so first you have the capabilities, then you have the content, then you have the speed. And then you have the query. And all those are just, they've been around, but it just keeps getting faster and faster and broader and broader. And so we're so used to that. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's part of our lives now, we can't get rid of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you said maps have been around a long time. Well, so has information. It's not like you know, information has existed before yeah. Google. Databases yep. and search, searching, search algorithms have existed mm-hmm. before Google. I'm just saying that the combination of internet with maps or internet with search, Google has really done a great job with those two things.
1: They have. They have.
0: Um, so, but so Google. But,
1: uh, uh, what I was saying, though, David, it's not like you push a button, it's there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. When you push a button, as you're typing, they begin parsing that out. And they have algorithms to say, here's the quickest way to get it there. And here's how to interpret what you're asking. So there's a lot of things going on in the background. It's not just a button, a button, and there it is. Mm-hmm. It used to be that way. And it was really hard to use. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't know what they're asking. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Google figure out what they're asking.
0: Yeah. With Google, it's search, it's maps. But for this lady, Cashmere Hill, she uses Google Docs too. So her entire office suite is run off of Google. Um, Right. And she uses Gmail, which is huge. So she had to switch to ProtonMail. And then it's like, how do you migrate your docs without using Google? You don't really. I mean, so you don't really have access to your documents because they're stored on your Google Cloud. They're not really stored on your computer locally. And it's fascinating how it all works, how, oh, don't worry, you don't need access to your files. They're available whenever you log into your Google account. It's like, what if I don't want to use my Google account? It's like, well, then you don't get your files. It's like, so are they really my files at that point? That's a good question to ask. Um, but that leads us to the next one, which I would have a hard time with Google as well. Also, big caveat, big caveat, um, Google is also Android, so half of the cell phone, smartphone market. There's just two two options. There's Android, and there's iOS. So Android is owned by Google. iOS is owned by Apple. So if you want to use a smartphone, you can't really get the big five out of your life. So that's another big one, and she had to struggle with that when she went into week five. But let's go to week four first, where she cut Microsoft out of her life. She thought that would be easy because... She uses Google Docs. She uses an iPad and an iMac and an iPhone. She's team Apple. Now, I think that the fascinating thing is, um, so I do video editing, obviously, uh, and I know for a fact that there are some times when I'll receive videos in a project that are in a codec that is owned by Apple. And so for her thing was, let's block the external IP addresses, and then we're free of the tech giants. But the thing is, I'm sure that on her iMac, there is Microsoft code running. And, and on, on my Windows workstation, there's Apple code running. I think that it's difficult to avoid. There's such huge companies that there's native code running on your workstation from these other companies. And so she said, I don't use it. But what was crazy is I rented a car and the navigation system was powered by Microsoft. So I couldn't use the navigation system. And when I would go to buy a coffee at the coffee shop, their point of sale was Microsoft. And so it sort of begs the question, like, are you really getting rid of Microsoft if, you know, someone else is using Microsoft to serve you? You're not really, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, you have a good memory. I, I I forgot she said all those things, but mm-hmm. she did, and it it was very revealing, very revealing, which revealed that, uh, also demonstrated that, these like Microsoft or any of these companies are so large, that they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not just in one place. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And wherever you wherever you engage any type anything outside yourself, you're going to be engaging not just one of these services, but a multiple. Fingers of all the services.
0: Yes. And um, so we go back to the things. This was 300,000 Amazon, 15,000 from Facebook. Google was over 100,000. Microsoft was about 15,000, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but then her conclusion with Microsoft was, I don't use it, so it was very relatively easy. But Microsoft is a B2B type company. So a lot right. of how Microsoft affects your life affects it on the service that one business is providing to another that wouldn't happen and then that wouldn't trickle down to you if microsoft didn't exist that's right so you're part of that transaction you're just you don't see, uh microsoft isn't consumer facing in that transaction
1: yeah it's kind of like uh, and it, this probably is not fair and I'll, I'll preface this by saying this is not fair but we really just don't know uh, how much uh, the tech giants are involved with all parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, they don't have bread to eat. It says, oh, we don't, they don't need bread. Don't need bread to eat. Just let them eat cake. And it's kind of like you don't understand and we don't understand. So it's got to be careful pointing fingers and blaming because it's they're, they're just – they're so – they're everywhere. And engage with everything hmm and so actually I enjoyed the movies before we get to all of them uh, big be- I began to realize that that was a main my my main takeaway I didn't realize how integrated all this all these things all these take tech- you think of the user in interfa- effect interaction you don't think of the of the back office and the inter- interaction between the back office type operations you don't even think of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: all that still exists
0: yeah Now, moving on to Apple. This is the one where I said to you "pathetic" a bunch of times, but (laughs) she wanted she uses an iPhone, so she wanted to sort of jump the gun and not, um, not use an Android or an Apple phone. So she visited Purism. Do you know? Do you remember the Purism visit?
1: I remember that. That was very interesting. Yeah.
0: So this is back in 2018, before they had the Librem five. The Librem 5 is a purely Linux-based phone, but let's just go to Purism, shall we? Because there's an issue here. Purism, beautiful, secure, privacy-respecting devices. Librem 5, now shipping a security and privacy-focused phone with a secure supply chain. The Librem 5 retains the software security and privacy features of the Librem 5 while adding transparent, secure supply chain within manufacturing. Now, she didn't use this because this wasn't out yet. So let me order now, okay? I'm on the website for those listening via audio. The Librem 5 is a $2,000 phone. And if you order it, oh, oh, oh. Let's add to cart. Um, and let's go to checkout. Yep. Uh, you, I heard, I saw, but maybe this is the true Libra from overseas. The two thousand dollar one, maybe you can get the fifteen hundred dollar one, which is the same phone. Where do I go to my cart? How do I get to my cart? Well, there's view cart up there. There we go. Good job. Thanks. There it is. There you go. Okay, so two thousand dollar phone.
1: Proceed to checkout. Select a country.
0: Hmm. I'm trying to think. So I saw that uh that Are the shipping some- the shipping is uh it takes weeks or months because they're having supply chain issues. But that may be with their <laughs> non USA edition phone. So yeah, um, and then the a lot of services don't work on a purism phone, but if you're if you're bound and determined to have privacy, this is really one of your few choices, a two thousand dollar phone that has a small screen, um, an underpowered processor, not that much memory, only thirty two gigs of storage, so you're not paying for any of the specs. Um, you're paying for the privacy and the software doesn't work as well as Android or iOS software. Uh, But you know that it's open source. You know that there's no spying. And that's what you're paying for. You're paying $2,000 for the luxury of knowing that. And for some people, that's worth it. But it's difficult because there is no viable alternative that's decoupled from the tech giants in this cell phone world. You know, in the computer world, you can... Uh, you have some options, but not in the cell phone world. So I, I thought that was fascinating when she tried to... And then she tried to use her... I believe we'll go back here. This didn't exist yet. So she tried to use her Librem um, 14, I believe. She Because you can put a SIM card in this and get telephone communication and be decoupled from Android and iOS. So she was trying to use a laptop but it just didn't, flat out didn't work. She tried to Skype with her tech advisor on the Librem 14. Skype didn't work. There's a lot of stuff that breaks when you try to go into an ecosystem that's decoupled from the tech giants because the tech giants provide a lot of services that are easy. And yet when I said some of this stuff was pathetic, she did a podcast where she had a handheld recorder. She tried to send the big file to the people that she was doing the interview with and she said but i didn't know how to send a big file without icloud and i thought to myself you work for a a tech a tech you're a tech journalist (laughs) and it's just fascinating to me uh people don't really understand the fundamental aspect of you know web servers file sharing how that can all be accomplished without the big five you know i can think of several ways so she called her tech advisor And they advise her to use Onion Share or something, some Tor-based dark web file sharing service. And I think it's fascinating that people, they don't think in terms of infrastructure. I guess this is, I'm sorry, I've been talking a long time. This is my point. They don't think in terms of infrastructure. They think in terms of services provided to them. That's right. So it's like, should I provision my own web server and have that open, um, password protected, but... You know, and provide that, and then use Secure Shell, and sort of transfer the files myself to someone else's web server. You know, or or have them, you know, make it available to them via password. And this file is available. They don't think about that way. They think of how can I download a service that does this for me, not how can I do this. And that's fascinating. That I think that almost all people think about computers in that way, not how does this work. Now, the thing is. I guess I'm just saying it at a more granular level. How do you provision a web server? How do you put servers on there that allow for secure file transfer protocol? How do you transfer files without the need for any of these? Well, you're still using stuff that's been built on the backs of a lot of people's hard work. You know, the the software that's running your server software, your SFTP software, that was all developed by developers. And that's a service that works. It's just a little more arcane. Uh, But people don't think about that. I don't want to monkey around with the command line. I don't want to, you know, understand where my stuff is going. I want to download a service, push a button, and then they say, now your file's there. So it shares this link with someone. So I I thought that was fast. That's what we're
1: used to. Because that's what we're used to these days. Well, a number of things to think of, that to, just to mention here, is that, uh, you know, so many times we think of our information can be accessed, so therefore they're spying on us. Uh, well, on Wednesday, we talked about the barter concept. And so, like you're saying, people say, I want a service, but then I'm going to trade that service with them knowing what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, or they're they're going to have information about me. And so it's not like you give them everything and they give you what they want to give you. Uh, Maybe on Wednesday, we start thinking about the barter concept a little bit better, a little bit more detail. Like, well, how much do we give them and how much do we get in return? And is there some equity there Mm -hmm. uh, of what we give the tech giants and what they give us? And what they give us is just remarkable things. It's changing society. It makes us uh, our lives better. It makes us to be productive. It, it it educates us. It it pays our salary uh, in many cases, and it's part of our lives. Mm-hmm. But then, how much do we give up? And so maybe the way to approach this is saying, wait a minute, we don't just just for our convenience. We don't give everything up. We say we need to some kind of a pre, uh, some kind of a barter system to way to where the connections should be in such a way that uh, there's um, there's there's growth on both sides, but the growth on both sides doesn't doesn't unequally weigh one side over the other Because when you do then you have problems. hmm So somehow they they have to go hand in hand Another uh, I, I was just thinking of that and you're right people do look at uh, how easy it is How convenient is it for them to do, you know, where's my click to do it? Uh, well, that's how they thought our society have thought that way because now, I I have I struggle with that too I struggle with that with uh, with my students uh, they want say well tell me what I need to do to get the answer I say well you have to think to get the answer mm-hmm. to figure it out they go I, I don't want to think I want to say put this here that's my answer but I want to explain why you why that works and they don't want to know that
0: yeah so I mean the reason why Amazon has, you know, a million IP addresses that they were blocking via the VPN. The reason why Facebook has 500,000 IP addresses, whatever, you know, whatever it is, I'm just making up these numbers, um, is because computers run on servers. And these big five have millions of servers. And the question is, well, if I'm not going to use Gmail, do I use Mail? You know, or I, I need a service. Oh, if I'm not going to use iCloud, do I use OnionShare? I need a service. But people don't think, what are they doing? They have a computer in the sky and as provisioned with services. What if I had my own computer in the sky provisioned with services? What if I knew how those services worked? What if I understood that I can upload to that server and there's a file there and then I can point people to that file and they could find it on the same server via the IP address of my server instead of the IP address of Microsoft or Google or Amazon server. And people don't think that way. They think I need an icon on my phone that I tap and it does this one thing. And it does it seamlessly and I don't want to know about servers. I don't want to know about... um, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, PHP, MySQL, Python, Ruby. I don't want to know about any of that. I, I What I want to know about is what application do I need to install that does this? And I think that that's powerful to know which applications do what, to sort of understand the context of each application and what they're capable of. But it's also powerful to understand that it's all just built on a bunch of web servers.
1: And who doesn't understand that? Well, pretty much a lot of people don't individuals don't. Mm-hmm. But the people that don't understand that and don't take time to develop their own, are like like different industries, uh, critical industries, different types of municipalities, uh, that don't have the ability or the, their funds or the resources, uh, governments, Uh the governments are tied into the private sector, mm-hmm. where the private sector is becoming more powerful than the governments. Uh, they don't do it. The military, uh, do they use the AWS? Do they use things that are compromised? So the military, uh, so that they have that, that protection, do it themselves. Uh, now, now so but here's can... the
0: question, though. I, I I hear your argument, but the other side of the argument is AWS is so much better, more secure, faster, that paying $10 million, uh, paying. million for the military to use AWS for non, you know, top secret stuff for just for that, the equivalent cost would be 5 billion. It would be 10 X for the military to build it out themselves because it's, it's a specialized service that they provide.
1: That's true. If they did it all at once, but what about initiatives, research, R and D moving in directions for security, uh, the government, for the military, for for, for foreign affairs, and, and all the other uh, technology, uh, industrialization, I- internal infrastructure, all the things that the government has to deal with. Uh, and anyway.
0: I mean, yeah. What about all that other stuff? And it's like, okay, well, to, we're paying Amazon $500 million to reach their level of security because they are focused right. on this stuff. It would be $500 billion. But is it worth it? Or do we just trust them? And at, at the end of the day, it's it's a numbers game. It's like, so, oh, it's more secure if we do it ourselves. It's just a 1,000 times more expensive. Should we do it ourselves? And they'll say, no, it's not worth it. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me because these services work. They're great. And like I said, if you understand programming, if you understand how an Apache server works and how MySQL and PHP and, and all this stuff works, You still have to do a ton of work to equal the functionality of a service that you just click a button on your phone. Oh, I'll just drag this to here, and now I can share it with my friends. As opposed to, I have to do 20 hours of work provisioning a server. And you probably have to pay for web hosting for that server. Whereas the other service that you are using that works a lot better, that's a lot faster, is free. So is the price that you pay with your personal data, if we look at bartering, like... Is it worth it to you? I think to a lot of people, yes, it's worth it to barter your personal information for the ease of access to those services because any other services that you would need would cost money and they might be cost prohibitive and to develop those services yourself might be impossible or what you're getting is a fraction of the functionality for a thousand times the work.
1: Again, is it worth it to you to mm-hmm. spend that much money, amount time, time and effort uh, to develop it? Uh, there again, another way, another view, though. To develop it the way they've developed it, yeah, it's going to be billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But you don't need it exactly the way they they're doing it. What yeah. they're doing is for for everybody. You need it from very specific purposes. So you can have focused type of applications, focused type of infrastructure for very specific and also uh, for criteria. And uh, that have to be met uh, in a very specific uh, operation. Uh, Well, I so I know that yeah, you can use it to these others, but uh, again, there there is risks, and we've seen the risk. We've seen uh, how people have gotten hacked, and people have been undermined, uh, even in the government.
0: Well, I know that uh, at your house, one time I was messing around with one of your old computers, and I installed a Linux on it. And then I made it a secure share file server that I could access uh-huh. from my house—a secure shell file server—and I made it encrypted with a, an encryption key. And then I put it online. I opened a port in your router. I put it online, and I accessed it and I looked at the log files, and there were thousands of access attempts um, in the 36 hours it was online. Now no one broke through because it was encrypted. But it's like... I remember that. I remember that. And I said, you know what? It's not worth it to me to screw up and have all of your files compromised because I'm not a data security administrator. Like, I knew enough not to get it hacked in 36 hours. But there might be something that I'm overlooking, and all of a sudden, people have access to all of your data. So I took the server offline, and I closed the port in your router. So, you know... But it's, it's scary. It's scary out there. And you sort of trust that these IT professionals know more than you do. But then you look at like an IT, the most recent hack, that was an IT security firm that got hacked. And all the companies got compromised. And it's like, you had one job. You know, we paid you to make sure this doesn't happen. And then you were the one that got compromised and that's why we're compromised. (laughs) You know what goes through my mind
1: is like driving a car. You know, you learn how to drive a car. You learn how to fix a car. You learn to put gas in it. You learn to, so you learn different things about the car enough to use the car for purposes. But you don't know how to design the engine. You don't know how to, to go back and actually manufacture the different engine or the, or the transmission. And you can't build it from scratch. Like there's a junk of there's a whole pile of metal. Okay, make a car. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't want to do that other, you need other people. Uh, that, points are well taken, David. Yeah. points are well taken. So you have to understand how much of other people's knowledge and, and capabilities that you use, and how much do you put yours in? And there, there has to be a balance there. And maybe maybe that's what uh, uh, the barter concept is. How much do we use? And how much do we put to it? In order to have something that's valuable? I, I really don't know. It's Food for thought. Again, uh, we need each other, but uh, everybody has something to contribute. Mm-hmm. We need to listen to everybody and try to understand what people are saying to, to move forward.
0: Yes. And I I, I just, um, just one more note before we move on. This cutting out Apple, she was so dependent on Apple services. But the thing is that people that use Apple services, they can do amazing things. I know YouTubers they don't know anything but Final Cut Pro and their iPhone, and they're making incredible stuff. And they're they're doing they're using uh, whatever the thing is called. I don't know what the Apple services are called, but they're filming stuff on their iPhone and then they're sharing it. AirDrop is what it's called to their iMac and or their Mac i MacBook. And then they're using the Apple editing program. And this stuff is insane. It's amazing. And they're doing it all within that ecosystem. If you took them out of that ecosystem, they wouldn't know where to begin. But it sort of streamlines their creativity. And they sort of think, oh, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. And they don't need to know about how anything works. That's not what they're trying to. They're not trying to achieve knowledge on how it works. They're just trying to use these services. And what Apple has done is streamline the services so that they're super easy. And so if you step outside, that's what she said. Stepping outside the walled garden of Apple has been a nightmare because a lot of times services that don't exist, where everything is streamlined and everything has the same design language and everything, all the apps sort of function the same, even though they're working at cross purposes, that's like all in the Apple ecosystem. You're using 50 apps designed by 50 different developers that have 50 different um, design languages, 50 different sort of where is the setting. It's in a different place on every single app on the Apple apps are always the same. So I don't really blame her, it's just fascinating to me that someone that's an author for a tech journal could sort of have a tech literacy level that's dependent upon one company. Uh, but, But to close out, cutting the big five out, that seems nearly impossible. You know, all five, because the final week she cuts out all five at the same time. Doesn't that seem more or less impossible?
1: Well, yes, in one sense. Uh, another way to look at it that is, if you do cut all five out, if you actually figure out how to do it and technically, literally, cut all five out, your life would be miserable. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the same life. It be, wouldn't be the same lifestyle. You wouldn't talk to people. You couldn't... Maybe you couldn't do so many things that are yeah. necessary to live.
0: I mean, you could get on a landline, a rotary landline. I don't know if rotary still exists, but so a touchtone landline and call someone. Well, you know that they're using an Android or iOS phone to talk to you. Sure. So are you really cutting it out of your life? Because they're using it to... Everyone else is using it. And I think at the end, the guy that was a digital vegan or whatever he called himself, and I thought it was hilarious, he had a, a ThinkPad X220, which is the... Like, if you're not using a hipster computer, like a hipster Linux computer like the Librem, um, you're using a ThinkPad X220. Um, they're old, and they, they go for a lot because people... Love them. Let me find. Okay, there's the X220. That's the one that has the fingerboard. Then there's one that doesn't even have the mouse. But they are one of the last ones that you could um, have a completely open source BIOS on. So, I mean, this is a 10-year-old computer, I believe. Oh, it's not for sale. But they're going for 300 bucks. That's a lot. Because they are the ultimate... Uh, open source computer you can have an open source BIOS on it then you can run an open source and you could decouple yourself from all those services so people love the ThinkPad x 20 so they're talking to this digital vegan and he says I don't think it's about you making the choice to not use the services I think that any change will come if a lot of people choose not to use the services now I personally choose not to use the services and I know that I'm not leading someone to being tracked or targeted when they interact with me and what I thought was interesting is that she was talking to this guy. He works for the ACLU, I believe. And the video feed kept cutting in and out because they weren't using a big <laughs> tech company servers with reliability and redundancy and, um, you know, scale. It's, it's just fascinating to me. You can do this stuff on your own, but you truly are on your own when you do it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: So what have we learned, hmm? I suppose?
1: That the tech is here to stay and learn how to live with it and uh, uh, learn how to use it and you'd use, use it to make your life better, not to, like your, not to make your life worse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, don't let it control you. You control it to make your life better. Mm-hmm. And don't don't lose your values. And maybe. I think
0: I think in some respect that was Kashmir Hill's sort of conclusion, the lady that was the, the journalist on this. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you know, when I had the Nokia phone, she brought like a brick old school phone that was not a smartphone. It was a dumb phone because she couldn't ha- really have a smartphone um, and be decoupled from these corporations. So she said, when I was using the Nokia phone, I would wake up, I would sleep with my phone next to me and the alarm would go off and I would grab it and start scrolling before I got out of bed. It's like, that was dangerous behavior. Like with the Nokia phone, what I realized is I went through my morning routine. I hung out with my children. I did this. I did that. And I didn't think about scrolling. And then when I went back to my phone, I woke up and I said, wait, I shouldn't scroll. It was just taking a week or two to not have the smartphone by your head when you sleep and pick it up and start scrolling immediately. You sort of realized that was a dangerous behavior. And I think it's easy to get sort of sucked into these behaviors that are not productive or they're destructive and not realize it until you decouple yourself from some of these behaviors. So, I I mean, I think that that was a real lesson of this video series.
1: That was a very good lesson. And it's like when you see some some negative, something negative in, in technology or something negative in behavior and you don't throw everything out. You just try to control for that negative behavior. Mm-hmm. You don't let that happen. And you say, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to modify things and use it and pull the good out. There's a lot of good, a lot of positive things in technology. And they can be used for bad. But that's been true of everything. Uh, and so you have to start thinking about using, uh, try to mitigate the the bad the risk and the bad and you just use them for the good
0: yeah so i think we should we can wrap up on that note right mm-hmm. um
1: that there it's not going away it's here to stay for sure mm-hmm.
0: i and i think that my assessment that her digital literacy level outside of the apple ecosystem is just sort of me being a hater because i don't use apple products But I'm sure that if I were outside of the Android and Microsoft ecosystem and I had to function totally on Linux, I would have a hard time as well. So it's not about how digitally literate you are. I think that you're totally dependent on a lot of these big five. And there's really nothing you can do except for sort of realize that you're using these services and sort of try to be in control of your own life and use them on your own terms. Because at the end of the day, you're only in control of yourself. So that's my advice anyway. That's my Sunday soapbox, my Friday soapbox. And that's all I have to say. What do you have to say to wrap up? I have the music playing.
1: Well, actually, what we say here at Sons of Sequoia Podcast is the same with what they're talking about technology. is just keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what other people are saying.
0: So we'll catch you guys on Monday. Sons of Sequoia podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Amazon Podcasts, as well as Stitcher and some of the others. And on YouTube, which is also owned by Google. So we're using the tech giants to get our name out there. So we should stop bashing them so much, right? And all those (laughs) can be used for good. Yes. Use them for good. Yes. So we'd like to thank you for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday and have a great weekend, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.